trust your week has gone well and that your hearts are prepared to hear from God's Word this morning. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Your elders do want to encourage you, strongly encourage you, if you have missed any of, uh, well, if you miss any message uh, of our church services, you really ought to go back and listen to them. But I do strongly encourage you, if you've missed the last two on a wife and a husband, that you take time and go back and listen to those messages so that we can seek to have healthy families. And that is... Uh, been our subject for the last two weeks and today and for next week as well. We will finish up our thoughts on the family. Uh, I believe the contents of this message is uh, important. As I told you at the the first, I have a burden on my heart um, for our families and our churches and how easily it is to be inundated by worldly philosophies and ideologies and to sometimes be blinded to those things. And so we want to open our minds and hearts to the truth of God's Word. So let's begin with prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I just ask for Your work in all of our hearts, Lord. Uh, as a parent, uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, what is has been studied and will be taught this morning will affect my own heart and life and my own family and uh, each one here as well, and that we will receive these things um, willingly and gladly, Lord, and showing that we understand them will show obedience and result in obedience in our, in our families, Lord. So help us in these things. Uh, give us courage to be what you have called us to be, commanded us to be, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning I want to begin by speaking to our young people and then what I want to do is move into the responsibilities of parents a little later on in the message. I do see that our society, in our society, if you take a step back and look, we're really in quite a dilemma in our society. Uh, We have two extreme views when it comes to children and the raising of children. Um, One extreme view is that we just simply hate our children. Uh, Every day, nearly 4,000 babies are murdered. Children are abused. Many children come out of broken homes. Fathers that are not present because of greater dedication to work than they are the home or simply abandonment. Mothers are not engaged with their children because of the pursuit of their own things. And then at the other extreme of that, of hatred, is that we worship our children. They become the central members of the family instead of the husband and the wife. Parents are working so hard sometimes to make their children happy and to have the things that they didn't have to the point of where the parents are actually miserable trying to parent and raise children. And they want nothing more. I've found this... uh, In a lot of cases, even in churches where some parents want nothing more than to be away from their children because their children have turned into selfish, demanding monsters. The reason that our society in general is one extreme or the other is because of the truth of God's Word is ignored. 
And parents in our churches can even buy into this worldly philosophies and thinking. So what we must do is we must submit ourselves to the Word of God. Because, and I will continue to repeat this over and over and over again, I've done it in with the men and with the women, that God's way is best. It is the path of blessings. And really for a parenting to be Christ-centered, Bible-centered, mom and dad must be Christ-centered and Bible-centered themselves. Both must be seeking, seeking to deepen their relationship with God through the Word and prayer. And then, being Christ-centered and Bible-centered in their roles to each other will help raise godly children. As I have talked about in the last two sermons about the unbiblical ways in which husbands and wives view their roles, and this has a great impact on how children are raised. If the father and mother has bought into unbiblical thinking, worldly philosophies, the children suffer from those things the most. I hear parents talk about the resiliency of children when a family is in crisis. But the truth is there are deep, lifelong scars that will negatively affect that child their entire life. It affects their entire view of life and also the coming generations. This will be my tenth year that I have taught in a high school. And a lot of the kids that I teach come from broken homes. They're on medication for behavior. They're in counseling. I know a number of adults who are in counseling on medication. And a lot of their issues that they're dealing with in adulthood, and these kids that I teach are dealing with, are in their childhood and the parenting styles and how the parents interact with each other. And it filters down into the children. The children, children are not as resilient as you think they are. They are little sponges. And they absorb everything that they hear and see. They are the most vulnerable in our society and in many cases the least protected. And parents will make mistakes. We will under-discipline, over-discipline. We will be too soft at times, too harsh. We will be self-absorbed, uninvolved at times. But I believe if parents are seeking to honor Christ then they're going to ask forgiveness from their children because I think that's where it starts. I think uh, back in the day that wasn't a thing, that you went to your child and asked for their forgiveness for a mistake that you have made. But I think it starts in us being humble people, willing to admit that we've messed up. And many times God is very gracious in our parenting uh, because of ourselves and how we just... You know, if my children are going to grow up and be messed up, it's not going to be because of society. I'm simply going to have to blame that on myself in many cases, but then in other terms, not. Because you can put yourself into your child, seek to teach them right, and then as they grow older, they have a mind of their own, and they make poor choices. But we don't want to let them have the excuse that mom and dad didn't do these things biblically. But I think if we willfully continue to ignore the truth of God's Word when we know the truth, that willing disobedience to the commands of God cannot bring blessings. Parenting is hard work. People talk about being in war. My dad went to Vietnam. He's got nothing. I've got three kids. I've seen the worst of the worst and the most difficult things you could see. 
But when we see biblical commands and the responsibilities of mothers and fathers, it's not a light task. What we've dealt with for the past two Sundays is heavy. Uh, My family feels the heaviness of it as I prepare for it and then preach it. And so these are heavy things we are talking about. They're not light matters. And I think for a lot of people in our society today, children are more work than they really want to take on once they get them. And so they're farming out their responsibilities to other people. And the children are the ones that suffer the most from that. The primary raising and education of children is done by someone other than the parents today. They learn their social skills from friends. They get their wisdom and advice from friends and pop music stars and movie stars. When they're at home, the video games, the television, the social media is the babysitter. The average teen spends 30 hours of screen time a week. A young man's first real strong role model usually is not their father's. It's their coach many times. A girl's father, if he's absent, absent, what is she going to do? She's going to seek the attention of men. And that never ends well. So parents, what I'm asking you to do, and myself included, because I am not the standard of parenting, you can ask any of my three kids, their father has made mistakes. And they each can tell you times where I have hurt them deeply. But what we have to do is keep going back to the Word of God. Understand what our responsibilities as parents are. How kids should be reacting to their parents and seek to honor God by being obedient to what the Word says. So let's go to the Word of God this morning and see what it has to say to children and to parents. And first to children, Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 12, Exodus 20, 12. It says here, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which Yahweh, your God, gives you. This command here given by God to Moses is restated for us in the book of Deuteronomy. Additional motivation is added there to children obeying their parents. It says in Deuteronomy 5.16, Honor your father and your mother as Yahweh your God has commanded you, that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you on the land which Yahweh your God gives you. If you look at how the Ten Commandments are arranged, the first four deal with our relationship with God. And the last six deal primarily with human relationships. And obviously this is not accidental that we start dealing with human relationships in the area of the family. Because the family is the foundational building blocks of all society. Last week, why I put so much emphasis on the wife being the home manager is because that home or lack of a home has a great influence on the next generation, negative or positive. Being involved in a high school, I've worked on the administrative side of that and also as a teacher. And what you find out is that a child's behavior is not going to change for the better because the school alone is seeking to discipline that child. If the home isn't disciplining the child, the parents are not engaging, then the behavior will not change in the school environment. 
parents will send their kids to school, sometimes expecting the school to fix their behavior. And then the parents seem shocked when the kid gets in trouble at school. And all the child is simply doing is doing what they do at home. So a Christ-centered, biblical, functioning family is paramount to a child's proper development. What we see in here in Exodus and in Deuteronomy is that if children will learn to truly honor their parents, then they will learn from them how to live all of life in obedience to God. Young people, there is blessings attached to you obeying your parents. Obedience results in blessings. It says this in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart guard my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So there are obvious blessings attached to honoring your parents. The word honor means to treat with respect, to treat with care. It also means worthy of honor. You you treat them as important, significant. The idea of honor has three aspects, and that is reverence, obedience, and gratefulness. So this is not just something of the will that you grin and bear it, but it is something that should proceed from your heart as a young person towards your parents. It tells us in Leviticus 19.3 that the people of Israel were commanded, Every one of you shall fear or revere his mother and father. The idea of honor includes reverence. So in the Old Testament there is the command to honor, which means to respect, to obey with gratefulness. And the motivation for obedience is a long life. And that it may go well with you. Once again, God only blesses His way. He blesses obedience to Him. That is why as a young person, your plans and your schemes for yourself will simply not succeed apart from God. As I told a kid not too long ago, you may go out and be successful as the world is concerned. You may get notoriety and make money, but it will not bring you the blessings that you so desire in your heart. It will not give you fulfillment. It will not give you joy. And what I do with the kids at school and with my own kids is point to the track record of people who achieve success as the world says it's success. Those that are successful in the eyes of the world tend to be the most miserable. And they are miserable because they get to the top of the mountain. What the world says will bring them happiness and joy and fulfillment. And they look around and they're just as empty as they ever were. So that's why many of them turn to bizarre, perverted behavior, alcohol, and drugs. It didn't give them fulfillment, and now they need to medicate and numb themselves. It didn't bring them joy and satisfaction, because all of those real things that you want in your heart are only found in Jesus Christ. It's only found there. And so young people, don't be foolish enough to think that you can live your life your own way and expect it to give you what you want really in your heart. Sin always leads to misery, destruction, death, and even eternal death with the rejection of Christ. Now the Apostle Paul repeats these commands for us. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. 
We'll look at verses 1 through 3. We've been kind of going through this in the last few services. The priority of the roles in the home. And here we see a child's responsibility, verses 1 through 3. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Young people, this is where becoming a godly adult, a hard worker, a good citizen, a healthy church member all begins. Because submission is going to be part of your entire life. It will be in part of your entire life. There is no place, no job, no situation where you will not find yourself under someone else and need to submit. It's an ongoing part of your entire life. Learning to obey and honor your parents is going to transfer to places of education where you learn to honor and respect your teachers. It goes to your job where you are obedient to your employers. It transfers to you as an adult submitting to your government that you honor those in areas of leadership. It transfers when you join a church as you submit to the leadership of the elders in a church. It also teaches you ultimately to submit yourself to God. Young people, if you do not learn to honor and respect and obey your parents, you will not honor and respect and obey God. This is the way that I see how this works in my mind. And this is what I tell my own kids. Right now as a child, you have a buffer between you and God, and that is your parents. God has placed them over you as an authority so that you will learn to obey and honor and respect that authority. And listen, that is a great place for it to be. That is a relationship of love where they care. Your government doesn't necessarily love you. Your employer doesn't necessarily love you. And so you learn to obey in the best possible environment so that when you're out from under their authority, you will be able to submit to other authorities. But right now you have a buffer, which is your parents'. And so they are commanded to discipline, correct, and instruct you. And once you're out from under that environment, then you have to deal directly with God. He then is the one that will hand down the discipline and the correction for your good. So I think things start out simple for children. The only requirement that a child has before the Lord is to honor their father and mother and to obey them. Ephesians 1.6, children are to obey their parents in the Lord for this is right. Young people, what this emphasizes is that your obedience to your parents is just the same as obedience to Jesus Christ Himself. It means that this is God's design for you, that you obey your parents. And listen, young people, you are given an example to follow the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus is an example of obedience as a child. If you remember when he was 12, there was a time his mother and Joseph couldn't find him. They eventually located him and he was in the temple. And it says in verse 51 of Luke 2, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and continued in subjection to them. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, submitted to his mother Mary 
and to Joseph. Christ has set a pattern for us that we are to follow as Christians. Now, young person, you may be thinking, my parents are old and out of touch. And I am. I'm very much out of touch. But I'm okay with that. You may think they don't know very much. They know more than you do. You may think they don't really understand. You might think that things should be different or done differently in your home. But listen, young people, as long as your parents are not asking you, telling you to violate the Word of God, then you are simply to obey them. If you have parents that love you enough to bring you to church and to provide for all your needs and to insist on obedience, then you have parents that love you. And how they may parent may not be what you think it ought to be, but remember that they do what they do because they genuinely care about you and your future. And listen, if you think about it, young people, to have a rebellious attitude towards your parents or to be disobedient towards your parents is really foolish when you think about what all they do for you and provide for you. Not only that, but if you have a parent who desires to be a godly follower of Christ, they love you immensely and they want what God wants for you. And that's so important. Young person, what you do when you argue and you fuss and you want to overturn what your parents are saying, you're actually arguing for your own demise and your own destruction. You are arguing with a parent... And what you're arguing for is for you to self-inflict pain on yourself. For you to experience lifelong scars. Now, I'm not talking about having a conversation with your parent. If I say something to my kids that I don't want them to do this, and they come back to me and they want to have a conversation with me, they want to give me reasons as to why they think this might be acceptable as a parent, I don't have a problem with that. Because I do understand that I am limited in my perceptions and understandings of things. But if I still come to the conclusion that it is not good, then I expect there to be submission and obedience to that. Because I, as their father, have their best interest in mind. Now obviously, if we're talking about very young children, there really doesn't need to be a discussion about why you can't play in the road. Or why you can't throw a fit or why you're in trouble for rolling in the dirt after you were told not to roll in the dirt. I think sometimes what I have seen is we flip-flop those things with our children. When they're young, we spend a whole lot of time explaining to little Johnny why he should obey instead of calling for immediate obedience with painful consequences. Listen, very young children are not interested in the reasons why you are telling them no because they simply want to do it. That's what they want to do, and your reasoning doesn't matter to them. But then we get to their teenage years, and sometimes we don't explain well enough why we make certain decisions, and we begin to just tell them, because I said so. We've done so much explanation back here when they needed the immediate obedience, and then we don't explain enough when they get older. And children, that can cause resentment and frustration. Teenagers need a little more information so they can understand your reasoning and thought processes behind the decision which is ultimately for their good. Listen, young people, I say this in love. I've said it to my kids. I repeatedly say it to the kids at school that you do not know everything. (laughs) 
Honestly, at 16, I really believe that I knew more about the world than my parents did. There are things that you are simply not mature enough to be able to see the consequences and lifelong ramifications of some decisions. And sometimes, even if a parent explains those long-term negative consequences, teenagers tend to think that those negative things, those potentially harmful results, will not happen to them. One thing that you need to learn at a young age, young people, is to trust God. Trust God with your life. If He says for you to obey your parents, simply obey your parents. If your parents are making what you believe are mistakes in their decision making for your life, then trust God that He will handle that and He will bless you for your obedience. It says in Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. This is an even stronger motivation to obey because it pleases the Lord. Listen, don't worry about having it your way or making sure that every one of your parents' decisions fit your life. Your goal is to please Christ, to please the Lord in what you do. And what He has called you to do, your job as a child, as a young person, as a teenager, is to obey your parents in everything. The only exception to that is if they are telling you to violate God's Word. And the motivation of the fifth commandment is a longer life. And I think this is a general principle for us. It was a specific promise to Israel, but it is a general principle for us today. This is true in part because of the common sense observations that obedient children have better success in education, learn better work habits and personal relationship skills, they take better care of their health, and have higher integrity and stronger personal moral standards as adults. According to H.D. Saylor, writing in Supporting Children in Their Home, School, and Community, parents who are nurturing and set, discuss, and enforce developmental appropriate limits are the most successful in helping their children become autonomous, independent, self-controlled, self-confident, and cooperative. These children also are more likely to have high levels of competency and high self-esteem during middle childhood and adolescence. They also have internalized moral standards and their academic performance in high school is superior. End quote. Anthony Kane, a secular commentator, says this. Uh, he says, Learning obedience is an important part of child development. He states that through obedience, children learn self-control and develop other positive character traits. It is natural for a child to want to obey his parents to please them. It is also necessary for his proper growth and development. End quote. But there is additional spiritual factors as far as out from education and social skills and all of that. And that is God's blessings of a child who obeys their parents. Paul implies this when he says, For this pleases the Lord. It says that it may go well with you in Ephesians 6.3. Young people, God blesses obedience. And He certainly will not bless disobedience. Children, obey your parents. So now what I want to do is make a shift 
to focusing on a parent's responsibilities to their children and to the Lord. And I want to begin by asking each of us as parents, why did we have children? What was the purpose? What was the thinking behind wanting to have children? Sometimes it's just because that's what people do. And we just do it and we don't really think about that. I think for many couples in America, society, uh, within American society, that's a hard question to answer. For the majority of society, they have children because they're accessories to their life. I believe a lot of parents want kids for selfish reasons. They believe that that child is going to do something for them. That that child will meet some emotional need that will boost the ego of the parent. Sometimes people are more in love with the idea of kids, but not the kids themselves. They come to realize how much hard work is involved. And they begin to advocate their entire raising to other people. They hand their babies to daycare, to godless school systems. They may depend on the youth group for spiritual growth. There's after-school care. Kids are involved in all sorts of variety of activities where families rarely sit down for a meal together. And most families seem to be fractured and going in many different directions. And we wonder why we have issues with young people and with families. So again, my question would be, why did you and I have children? As believers, I think we could call for answers here and that we could come up with quite a few reasons. One of the main reasons that we have children is in order to show other human beings, our children particularly, the love of Christ, to give them to the gospel, give them the gospel, to train them to be godly men and women so that God's glory will continue to spread throughout the earth. So that the glory and beauty of Christ might be communicated to others. And I believe if that is your goal, that will be evident in how your home functions, how your marriage works, what you think about entertainment, material possessions, Those things will not become primary things. They will be secondary to your relationships in that home. If that is true, that our goal is to glorify God with children, then that also means that our parenting is not for today. We are a society that is given to immediate gratification. We know nothing in American society of delayed gratification of putting off the immediate gratification for something better in the future. And I think that's a lot of parenting in our society. They're so concerned for the here and now, and they're not willing to put in the work and the effort to raise godly children. It will take sacrifice. It will take time. It will mean that things that you now wanted and desired as a couple, just you two, are going to have to be done away with. They're going to have to be put on the execution block. Before Rachel came along, it took us a little while for her to come along, and I began to talk about putting a pool in the backyard when we lived in Virginia. So there's no pool. Before Hope came along, I was thinking of a new truck, a new Chevy or Ford, so there's no new truck. And before Matthew, the new four-wheeler. There's no new four-wheeler. So 
Sitting in the back of the room and in the nursery today is my pool truck and four-wheeler. I remind them of that as well. But listen, I would much rather have them than anything this world has to offer. So parenting requires sacrifice. It requires hard work. It's going to require giving up things that you really want. It can require, as we talked about last week with wives and mothers, it can be giving up a career, giving up a job for what is best for your home. But if we're not willing to put in the hard work and do the difficult things, then we are going to adopt the philosophies of the world and allow them to creep into our homes. It takes real men and real women to raise children. Being a parent is hard work. It's a work of repetition, a work of patience, of instructions, of consistency, of discipline. And all of this is to be done in love. And that's actually where we're going to start with a parent's responsibility this morning is love. The first and foremost responsibility of a parent is to love their child, to love them with a agape type love. Now, I know that you look at that little baby and you go, how could you not love it? And then it gets to be 16 and you go, I want to kill it. (laughs) This truly is agape type love. It's a love of commitment no matter what the behavior is. It is a love of action. It is a love that does what is best for someone, not what is convenient and easy. It is a love that doesn't take the easy road. And this type of love is found in deep relationships. There's no agape love in shallow relationships. Shallow relationships where you say hi and bye to each other as you're going through your activities... That's a selfish type of love, a shallow type of love. And most homes in our society and even within the church are very shallow relationships. There's no depth of relationship because we're fractured in so many different directions. Most families now don't spend a lot of time together and so they really don't know each other that well. And that makes obedience difficult for children. I forgot exactly where I heard this. It may have been from James Dobson, but it is true. Rules without a relationship creates rebellion. Rules without a relationship create rebellion. It is hard for a young person to submit and be obedient to a parent that's not really engaged in a relationship with them. And kids in turn act in negative ways to get the parent's attention. For most young people in our society, their friends know far more about them at school than their parents do. And listen, parents, quality of time, quality of time can only come out of a quantity of time. You can't orchestrate quality time. It can only come out of spending time, large amounts of time with them, that the quality time comes out of that. So real love, a love that is committed to someone, flourishes in a deep and close relationship. And listen, the Bible really just assumes this. It assumes that parents will love their children. This is evident in passages such as God's words to Abraham. Take your son, your only son whom you love. That's Genesis 22. And in David's deep grief over his rebellious son Absalom when he died. 
David compares God's love for us to a father's compassion for his children. It says in Psalms 103 verse 13, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. Jesus took it as an accepted fact of life that fathers know how to give good gifts to their children in Luke eleven thirteen. So God assumes that we would love our children. But now there's the flushing out of what that love actually looks like in regards to children. Now, I said this love is a love of action. It is a love of hard work. It's a love of doing what is best. Uh, and so I want to spend the rest of our time this morning helping us to understand what that looks like in the parent-child relationship. Love of the child is demonstrated in three areas that we're going to look at this morning. One is in the area of discipline. Love is demonstrated there. It's also demonstrated in patience and understanding and also in wise instruction. Let's first look at discipline. Parents, we are responsible for having obedient children. Therefore, we are responsible to lovingly discipline our children when they do not obey. And discipline is of such importance to God that one of the qualifications of being an elder is that he have obedient children. Wayne Grudem talks about two occasions when he was in in an elder position. He said that they turned down otherwise qualified nominees because it was quite clear that their children were undisciplined. And he said in both cases, that was the only reason that they were turned down. Parents, Parents, this is such an important issue for the peace of our homes, for our children's future, and for honoring and obeying God and His Word. So what constitutes discipline for the believing parent? I think discipline can take a variety of forms and it really depends on the circumstances, the age, and the personality of that child. And we can understand this because God's discipline to us can vary uh, with different circumstances, different ways, and also at our different maturity levels in Christ. I know that with our girls when they were young, Discipline was different for each one. Rachel was as stubborn as a mule. She was, and you can tell her that afterwards. She's in the nursery right now. And she needed more drastic measures. But Hope, on the other hand, you could just look at her and she would comply. The wise parent then is going to look at the different stages of development of a child and seek to contour the proper discipline for that child at that time in their life. If your child is a teenager, it may include things such as grounding, taking away certain activities or items. You may need to eliminate friends that they have because they're a negative influence. They could lose their license. My dad took mine for three months. I'd only had them for three weeks, and then I lost them for three months. I'm not going to tell you what I did. So, children, obey your parents. I do think that there is a time when you stop giving corporal or punishment, physical punishment, to children as they age. I also think that if the hard work is done when they are younger, then they will need less discipline as they grow older. But the point is that it is a loving parent that disciplines. And I do believe it is necessary that I deal with the issue of spanking. 
uh, I was talking to Rachel this week about the sermon, and I was telling her about some of the things that I was preaching on, and she told me that at least one good thing would come out of my sermon series, and that is the people of Providence are really going to appreciate Eric and Bob's preaching much more now. Uh, because of the heaviness of these messages. And so I really felt encouraged. (laughs) So at least you've got that to look forward to week after next. Now when we're talking about spankings, we're talking about a method of discipline for younger children. The purpose in disciplining younger children in this way is to teach them, is to teach them that sin has consequences. If they learn that when they are young, then when they are older, they will understand that with sin, there is a price to be paid. That sin brings pain. It is laying the foundation for spiritual accountability. They are to be taught to be accountable to their human authority, which in turn helps them to be accountable to God. Children who grow up rarely suffering any painful consequences for their behavior will have a hard time believing that God will hold them accountable for their sins. As many parents have found out with young children, you can beg, cajole, bribe, distract, yell, threaten, and a young child will still continue to resist. They may be young, but they know who is in control of that relationship. They are. But those same children will learn quickly from pain. If they stick their hand in a birdcage and are bitten, or if they put their hand on a hot oven, do you think that they will do that again? Probably not. It is similar with physical punishment, with a spanking. Is it not much more loving to inflict minor temporary discomfort on the child in order to save them and use so much heartache later on? We have no problem inflicting pain and discomfort on our children with injections, IVs, and surgeries. We do that because we believe it will save them from major debilitating sickness later on or will improve their quality of life later on. It's the same with physical punishment. A small amount of temporary discomfort now can save them from a world of heartache later. Now, physical discipline must never be cruel. Uh, It should not cause lingering physical harm to a child's body. It is never to be administered when you are angry or frustrated. You may need to cool down after an incident or issue. It is to be done out of love for that child. Parents, the Scripture does emphasize that discipline must include, at times, some sort of physical punishment, spanking. Somehow, God says... I don't know how it works. But God says that there is a connection between the backside and the heart. The Bible indicates that moral and spiritual benefits come to children who experience physical discipline at a young age. And the Bible even makes it clear that a parent who does not physically discipline their child does not actually love that child. They actually love themselves more than the child. You see, when a child is in need of physical discipline and the parent consistently avoids it, that parent, in a sense, is saying, I want to take the easy road, which is not the easy road at all. They don't want to do the hard and loving thing for that child now. 
It is difficult to physically discipline your child, but God says it is necessary. We have too many parents that want to be buddies, that want to coerce their kids into obedience. They want to bribe them. And the message we send is sin's consequences are minor. Now, I'm not saying that you spank your child for everything. Listen, we don't spank our children for being children. If my son goes outside and he comes in covered in dirt, I'm not going to spank him unless I told him, don't go outside and get dirty. I'm not going to spank him unless there is something that he has disobeyed, but not for being a kid, trying to pour his own milk when his dad said, go ahead, try it, and it goes all over the floor, and then you've got an hour of cleanup. You can't really get mad at the child at that point, okay? Because you said, go ahead, and he messed it up, and that's, that's part of being a kid. That's part of learning. So... If he then does something after instructions, that is disobedience and that does require physical discipline. If a child is rebellious in their attitudes, they don't want to do what they've told or you've disciplined them and they're growling, they're throwing a fit, they're holding their breath, they're crossing their arms, that's rebellion. You tell them no after being told what to do. Uh, They tell you no after being told something to do, that is rebellion, that is disobedience. And listen, parents, disobedience and rebellious attitudes are battles that you cannot lose as a parent. You cannot lose those battles. If you as a parent are feeling frustrated with the behavior of your child, or you think that things are out of control with them, then your child is running the show and you are not. And the only thing that will correct disobedient And rebellious behavior is physical punishment in younger children. Because once again, God only blesses His way. And as I said earlier, a parent doesn't really want what is best for that child when they withhold the needed physical punishment. Turn to Proverbs 13.24. Proverbs 13.24. Proverbs 13.24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. A parent who is consistently withholding physical punishment from their child when they are disobedient or rebellious is not loving that child. The loving parent will give that rebellious or disobedient child physical punishment because they love them. I never understood it when my dad would take me into the bedroom and say that this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I would want to say, well, let's switch places. But uh, that didn't work out. So, But as a father now, I understand that. I understand that I don't enjoy punishing my children at any stage in their life. But I believe because God's Word says to do it a certain way that it will result in blessings as they grow older. It says in Proverbs 22.15, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. 
Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Proverbs 29, 15-17 The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. The author of Hebrews recognizes the pain and the benefits that come from disciplining um, human fathers and also from God's discipline. It says there in Hebrews 12, We have an earthly father who disciplines us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Just as God's discipline of His children will result in blessings for them, so can a parent's discipline of their children result in blessings for them as they grow up. It is clear in God's Word about appropriate physical punishment. But for many parents, and even parents that are in good churches, don't believe that it works. They ball into this philosophy of the world that they need to try all sorts of other methods from secular sources. And what we're doing is we're buying into the lie that God's way is wrong. We have now in our society and many societies around the world where there is so much opposition to physical punishment or what is called corporal punishment. In many European countries now and elsewhere have laws that prohibit parents from spanking their children as part of the disciplinary process. In some countries, in spite of such law, it is interesting that assaults by adults against children between the ages of 1 and 6 increase tenfold in a 10-year period of time. What you see is it increases violence when there is not appropriate physical punishment. You have all these other types of punishment at a young age that do not curb behavior. And the child's behavior worsens and the parents become angry and then they explode and abuse their children. There are similar, similar laws that have been considered in parts of the United States as well. But a biblical-based system of values understands that when spanking is administered wisely and with restraint, it is beneficial. It is not harmful in the raising of that child. If you go online, you can see all these different studies about how harmful spanking is. But none of them distinguish wise, non-abusive spanking that causes temporary pain from that of an angry parent who is hurting their child, leaving deep bruises and lacerations. That's not wise physical discipline, that's abuse. These studies also fail to distinguish wise, loving, restrained punishment from unjustified rage. Those studies have skewed and distorted results. A group of American pediatrics presented a view a review of all the articles on corporal punishment to the American Academy of Pediatrics. Their result found that 100 of the 132 studies that supposedly documented negative effects of corporal punishment on children, only 24 of them had empirical data. 
All the others were either editorials, commentaries, opinions, or reviews. And of the 24 valid studies, 23 had ambiguous wording and broad definition that skewed the results. They found that physical punishment was defined to include anything from a mild spanking to beating a child with a hairbrush or an electrical cord or even pouring boiling water on that child. We're all grouped in that area of spanking and physical discipline. They concluded that the studies failed to entirely answer the real scientific issue Does occasional spanking aid or harm the development of a child's ability to learn? The reason I tell you these things is as Christians, we should be suspicious of people that claim results that tell parents to do exactly the opposite of what the Bible tells them to do. Gene Edward Veith, he is the provost at Patrick Henry College, He wrote in World Magazine that not spanking children is actually a form of abuse. And this is a long quote, but I want you to hear this. He says, Not only the ACLU, but also many educators, child psychologists, and even parents subscribe to the expressive theory of mental health. According to this model, human beings deep down are basically good. They simply need to express their feelings they have inside. Obstacles to this expression, such as society rules, oppressive authority figures, and judgmental belief systems, can cause repression and thus mental unhappiness and twisted behavior. Under this worldview, any attempts to control or punish or suppress the feelings of a child is to constitute as cruelty. And disciplining a child becomes next to impossible. For all the attempts to discipline children through positive reinforcement and such non-painful methods as timeouts and guilt trips, young people are learning that since adults will not exert force against them, that they can pretty much ignore those in authority. Allowing children to grow up without discipline however kindly it appears on the surface, is child abuse, an expression of our culture's hatred for children. Pretty strong words, but he's right. Look at our children, our young people today, and the people that are coming out of our schools and our homes. They have very little regard for authority because it never was ingrained in them as a young child. We hate our children in America. It is the self-centered person that doesn't want to step up and do what is best for someone else. A friend that will not tell you the truth is no friend at all. They are more concerned about themselves than they are you. And that is the same way within the parent-child relationship. Doing what is best for that child causes me to set aside my love for myself and my want to avoid physical discipline. And my love for them causes me to submit to the Word of God. Now some parents may ask how long and how hard is physical punishment to be? First off, it's administered on the backside. We don't slap our children, kick our children, hit our children. God gave a nice cushiony spot for that to take place. And we only discipline long and hard enough to break the child's will. 
Some parents are physically disciplining their children, but not to the extent of breaking the will of that child. And what this does is it creates anger, resentment, and rebellion in the child that is allowed to fester in the heart. For example, if you physically discipline your child and they quickly return with the same disobedience and rebellious attitudes, then the discipline wasn't strong enough. They look like they're holding a grudge against you. They're unwilling to be obedient. Or they give you facial gestures or body language that communicates that they're upset with you because of the discipline. They're mad at you. Or they want to punish you by not talking to you or listening to what you say. You have not physically disciplined them enough to reach the heart. Because I want you to understand, this is not discipline for discipline's sake. Just because somebody doesn't obey your words immediately, or they've made you mad or frustrated you, you are training their hearts. Your goal is to reach the heart. And loving, wise, appropriate physical discipline will reach their hearts. So a parent's responsibility is to love their children. And part of this love is discipline and at times physical discipline, physical punishment. Now this love also indicates, uh, includes patience and understanding. Ephesians 6.4 again. It says there in Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This means that discipline needs to be thought through. We need to consider things, understand things, be patient. Because our discipline cannot be overly harsh or overly demanding, which will frustrate children and provoke them to anger. On the one hand, children can also be provoked to anger when they experience no discipline at all from their parents. The absence of discipline is not really an expression of love for one's children. And children instinctively sense this and they often respond to the absence of discipline by more and more outrageous behavior. Almost as if they are begging for someone to come and discipline them. When you see a child throwing a fit on the floor, that child is in a real sense asking for discipline. They are crying out that they need boundaries and rules. If a child does not have them, they will continue to push and push until they actually feel loved. Loved enough to be told no. When a parent says no, when they stop certain types of behavior, what they are ultimately communicating is that I love you enough to keep you from harming yourself and hurting your future. I have had young people tell me that they wish their parents would tell them no. I had some students, and even this year, said, I wish my parents would limit my internet access. I had one student that even went to their parents and said, please limit it. And the parents said, you don't need that. They wish their parents would let them not just go anywhere with any person. Their parents are too occupied with their own lives and they're not really thinking through things, nor are they seeking to understand the real needs of their child. They think they're being a good parent by letting them do whatever they want. They're not. 
And if kids do not learn to be subject to their parents and obey their parents, and they don't have those rules and boundaries, they're not going to abide by them when they get older. We're going to cause more harm than good that comes out of the present moment by avoiding the difficulties in parents, in parenting. So there is a way in which you can go overboard with physical punishment and even other types of punishment that causes children frustration and anger. But also the lack of proper discipline that doesn't break the will also creates anger in a child. And then not disciplining them at all will definitely show that you do not love your child as you should. And this will become more evident in them as their anger and rebellion increases towards you and towards others. They're not going to fit in at school. They're not going to listen to their teachers because they do not listen to their parents. And I've seen it through the years where parents can't handle their children at home and they can't discipline their children at home so they send them to school for the school to fix them. Listen, the school can't fix that. A school, a daycare, grandma, grandpa cannot curb their behavior. Only the parents can. And if it doesn't come from the parents, then it will come later by the government. Or by losing your job. Or by being arrested. Or spending time in prison. So causing anger in your child can be over-the-top punishment. Not punishing at all or not enough punishment. Not breaking the wheel. And to administer the proper discipline, wise discipline, will take patience and understanding. This is why parenting is hard. It takes a lot of prayer and it takes a lot of wisdom. That's why it is so important for parents to be saturated with the Scriptures. Ephesians 6.4 We are to bring children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children must be disciplined and the whole process of raising a child and even disciplining a child takes patience and understanding. Now we want to look at wise instruction as we close today. Love involves wise instructions. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Wise instructions includes teaching them about God and His ways. Much of the book of Proverbs consists of teaching from mothers and fathers to their children. It says this in Proverbs 1.8, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teachings. Your instruction must be rooted in God's Word. Moses gave directions to the people of Israel about training their children. And these directions set a wise pattern for all parents for all times. Look at Deuteronomy 6 and 7. 6, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Wise parenting is a joyful task, but it is remarkably challenging and sometimes difficult. It requires much wisdom from God. Wise parenting means that parents must understand their children, including their child's unique and often different gifts and interests. Parents must also remember that they are teaching their children by the example of their lives as much as by their words. I told parents in my last church, uh, parents that would hit and miss with church a lot of times, 
And those parents would still say that the church was important. What you saw was the, the, the grandparents were in church faithfully. And then the kids were sort of hitting and missing with their kids. And then when this generation, it came time for them to be on their own, they completely abandoned church. You had faithful, semi-faithful, no church at all. And so we pass things down by our examples. We may say God and His Word is important, but if we're not living that out, then that means nothing of what we say. The instructions of Paul and Peter to the leaders in the early churches, I believe, are also applicable to parents. It says in Titus 2, "...show yourself in all respects to be a model, an example, a pattern to imitate of good works, and in your teaching show integrity diligently." Remember what I said about fathers, and this is also directed toward mothers. You cannot take anyone farther spiritually than you have gone yourself. So in order to raise godly children, to become godly adults, the parents in the home have to be godly parents. Now what happens when we make mistakes in raising our children? It is inevitable that we are going to make mistakes uh, for we are imperfect human beings. James tells us in James 3.2, for we all stumble in many ways. When I look back on my own life, I can recall I was too strict with my children. When I was too lenient, I've made mistakes and have hurt my kids deeply. I have been occupied or self-absorbed. And I think we as parents have to humble ourselves and say we're wrong when we make mistakes. That goes a long way with a child. It shows that you genuinely care for them as a person and that you love them. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.8 that love covers a multitude of sins. I believe if our children know we deeply love them, that we will help compensate, that that will help compensate for those mistakes that we have made. And listen, if you have older children and you look back and you feel like you've made mistakes and they haven't turned out how you would have liked them to have turned out, you continue to pray for them. You continue to be an example to them. And you continue to point them to Christ. And God can use those things, even in the heart of stubborn, rebellious children, to bring them to Himself. None of us can do anything about what we have or haven't done in the past. But we can do things differently now. And we serve a great and powerful God who can do miracles. He has the ability to remove a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Parents, even the mistakes we have made with God's help can turn out for the long-term benefit of that child. Romans 8.28 remains true. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. It is a significant and weighty responsibility to transfer the truth of God and His Word and His way of life to future generations. And even with grown children, to continue to give them truth. Yet, a responsibility... All of this is still a responsibility that's been entrusted to us to pass it along to the next generation. Even if you don't have kids, even if you're single, even if you're married and you don't have kids, you can pass on the wisdom and instruction of God through His Word. Turn with me to Psalm 78. This will be the last passage we look at this morning.
Psalm 78, verses 2 through 7. It says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and know, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. We have children to raise them for the glory of God. Parents, let us love our children by appropriate wise discipline, working with them in patience and understanding, and giving them wise instruction. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that uh, Your Word would do its work and You said that it would not return void. And so we pray Your blessings on what has been taught, that You will use it in Your people's lives, Lord. And if one is here that doesn't know You, Lord, uh, their parenting is going to be off because they have not repented of sins and trusted in You. And so we ask that You would work in their hearts this morning, draw them to Yourself. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.